Hi everyone, David here. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. If you like what you hear and want access to more of our fascinating in-depth content on the energy transition, you need to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for just €29, which will get you full access to our website and app. We also have a wide range of subscription packages to fit you or your company's needs. Follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Energy Enablers, the podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy, talking to those working every day on the front line of the energy transition. I'm David Weston and joining me on the show this week is Lizette Van Dorn, CEO of ULI Europe, a non-profit research and education organisation working on the future of the built environment. This week, Lizette and I discussed decarbonisation within Europe's buildings. And as Lizette says, building owners are not factoring in the cost of doing nothing to strengthen their building's green credentials when valuing their properties, which could have significant impacts in the property market. I hope you enjoy the show. Lizette, thank you so much for joining us on Energy Enablers today. The real estate industry is responsible for up to around 40% of the world's uh, carbon dioxide emissions. Could you explain the challenges and barriers that the real estate owners are facing in taking action to decarbonize their portfolios? Yes. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm really pleased. Well, there are quite a few challenges that uh, building owners, managers, but also all other stakeholders in the real estate industry face. And as we all know, buildings have a long lifetime. And that's sort of part of the problem and part of the solution. Um, because most carbon emissions are emitted during the construction process, or at least a significant part of that. And it's not just the materials, concrete, steel, and other materials for which uh, carbon is emitted during the construction process of those materials, but also getting it to the site, transport, etc. And then the other big part of carbon emissions relates to when the building is in operation. So it's the energy used by the tenant, but also for the general spaces by the, by the owner. And those two components make up that almost 40%. And then obviously, um, there's a large part of dependencies on those that create the materials, the utility providers providing the energy on what needs to be done. And honestly speaking, there are, many different challenges. Part is on the regulatory side. While the government and have agreed uh, back in Paris in 2015 that we would get to net zero by 2050, that is still not laid down anywhere in regulation. In the meantime, we got mostly in Europe what we call EPCs, energy performance certificates, that sort of minimum standards buildings have to abide to, but these are only a step in the right direction. Um, so by no means there's already a, a clear view in place what we need to do to get to net zero. And that complicates things. Um, for example, the way buildings are being valued 
that doesn't take into account anything that's soft. So unless it is fixed in regulation, unless there is a rental contract, unless there, we obviously the value makes an assessment of the strength of the location, it's not there. So in other words, now the cost of doing nothing is nowhere. So you could just perceive your building may have a value of 100 You think it's all fine, don't have to do anything. Yes, I might need to get to the next EPC level, but that's it. So there's there's the external challenges um, and obviously also the innovation we need on new materials, um, the grid, because those are big components to help make uh, decarbonized buildings. Mm. A lot of focus within the industry goes to reusing the existing as i explained there's a large part in embodied carbon uh, part of the construction so the smartest thing to do is to reuse all the existing real estate we have on paper that looks like a no-brainer in practice it's often a little bit more difficult because of planning issues finance issues or making the turnaround um financially viable um development issues construction issues, structural issues in ceiling heights, etc., especially if you want to change it from one use to another. So, um, and, and that is a big topic, especially because the lifetime of buildings is generally so long. If you compare it to a car, what is it? It's three, four times longer. And that's why that focus on existing real estate needs to be so strong. So how how can these some of these challenges be addressed? What needs to take place in order to strengthen and um, advance the energy transition within the built environment? Well, first of all, um, collaboration. I would say because I'm to be realistic, I'm not sure regulation will be with us soon enough that we can afford to wait for it. So let's assume it's not there. Therefore, it's the, for the industry to act. And what we still see, and probably real estate is not a unique in that, it's that often climate change and, and, and adapting to it is seen as a competitive advantage. We need to get rid of that. There's a bigger goal here, and that's saving our planet, and we need to work together for that. Many people think the real estate industry is an industry of buildings, which is true, but it's even more an industry of people. Because you cannot develop or invest in any building if you do not work together. You always need a tax expert, a technical expert, a legal expert, anything. So the industry is used to working together. And I would say we really need to come together now and also kind of show some leadership in how do we now make the fastest progress and fundamentally do things differently than we've done it before. I talked about valuations before. We really need to find a way to incorporate this and make that risk transparent. The fact that it now is not included in valuations doesn't mean it's not there. It is there, but it's not showing. So kind of fooling yourself by saying it's not in the valuation, so we don't have to do anything, only creates issues later down the, the route because then you might need to act very rapidly in Mm. maybe adverse market circumstances. So planning ahead, and we've seen examples also that if you plan 
well ahead, it doesn't have to cost a lot more because mm. buildings need maintenance anyway. So if you can plan ahead, you can just much more easily incorporate this. So I think the valuation topic is really important. There are many more. Of it, it's, it's got to be, we're still missing a proper standard of what net zero means for a building. Um, the collaboration between occupiers and landlords. In the past, we haven't seen real attention of landlords for their clients, the occupiers. It was more like a range of 10-year contracts. And after nine and a half years, I would go and pay them a visit to say, okay, shall we renegotiate? Now we probably need to work together. The good news is that is often already being recognized on both sides. So we're making steps, but we need a few more. Hmm. Can I just delve into that um, the, the, the valuation topic a little bit more? You say you've said that the cost of doing nothing is not factored in to the valuation process. Does that mean uh, the values of our buildings do not reflect the work that they need doing to them in order to meet net zero goals? That's exactly the, right. the problem. Yes. So you, there needs to be a greater conversation between building owners and, and all the various stakeholders to say this building needs. X amount of work in order to meet net zero standards. Therefore, it's priced at a certain price. And that's not being factored in at the minute. So that's not a factor when determining the price of a building. Exactly. Right. And well, it, it only is um, if if there's an educated mm. buyer, mm. he might go in and say, well, wait a second, uh, I've done my homework mm. and all this work needs to be done. Sure. That will cost this over 10 years or whatever. I'm not willing to pay your offer price. I'm yeah. willing to pay a with a discount of whatever. Sure. But we see, we definitely see an information gap in the market. Obviously, mm. the current market circumstances are tough for real estate with high interest rates, high inflation, high construction costs. So we hardly see any transactions. That's also the reason why it's hard to now know whether um, – People are taking it into account, not. I think before the market got to a standstill, say about just over a year ago, mm. um, we saw some, but the, the majority of transactions, it wasn't being considered yet. What we've actually just done um, and are about to launch is a, is a survey to assess the market where they are with these risks, transition risks, we, know, we call them of transitioning to a low-carbon economy. And we've seen a huge increase. We had about almost 90% of our respondents said they are considering transition risks in their investment decisions. So that also would say I would encourage those that are not there yet to really get on board because you might be coming back to a different transaction market than the one you left behind um, more than a year ago. Interesting. And so are you seeing an increase in, say, like tenants or even people trying to buy buildings that are of a higher uh, environmental standard than than others? Uh, and is, so is that having an impact on the market and people are actually looking for these buildings that have got quite good green credentials now? And then that's, that's now weighing on the market dynamics. What we see is pressure from two sides, actually. 
not the regulation one so much. That's more, it might come in the future. But we see pressure from the institutional investors, so the pension funds, insurance companies that invest in real estate, because they have their internal net zero targets, etc., and strategies. And we see similar pressure coming from occupiers. I do think it's fair to say that it's more on the office side than okay. maybe in other types of real estate. Sure. Um, obviously, the big pressure in the residential side comes often from the regulation. That's a different market in itself, I think. But if we look at retail logistics, it's probably more the offices and where we see the big corporate occupiers having their own net zero targets and pushing that through. What we do see, however, is kind of the extent to which they, um, which carbon emissions do they take into account. And what you see on the occupier side, not surprisingly, they're mostly bothered by the operational emissions. Perhaps you could uh, elaborate a little bit on uh, the sea change program um, and what its objectives are in mobilizing the real estate industry to decarbonize and what's inspired the program's inception. Very happy to. Well, maybe to start with the last part. Um, at our virtual conference in 2021, we had a keynote speech from Sir David King. Mm-hmm. who's a w- well-known figure in the UK. Mm. He leads the Center for Climate Repair. And he actually called on the real estate industry to take collective action. Things had been happening up, to, up until then, but very fragmented. So we started to ask ourselves the question, what can we do? Looking around, talking to members and looking at what other organizations we do, we found that a lot was already being done. But it was all much more around roadmaps, action plans, um, kind of to help guide what action needed to be taken. What wasn't there yet and what our members mentioned is it actually gets so complicated when implementing, especially if you try to do that on an international basis. You have to start from scratch each and every time. So we thought with ULI being a global organization, covering the whole of the value chain with its very broad member base from architects, developers, planners, investors, and and, uh, bankers, um, public and private sector, and not a lobbying organization. We felt we can really uh, contribute meaningfully by helping resolve these issues because often that sits at the edge of different disciplines, etc., and so that's what we did. And then we kind of first wanted to kind of explore what exactly to focus on. What were those biggest hurdles? So with our consultant 103, we kicked off a process to sort of assess the whole market on what are those biggest hurdles that hold back pro- progress to really speed up that decarbonization process. And then we looked at what was already being dealt with. Not that it was resolved, but at least what other organizations, for example, were working on. And we kind of carved those out. Then for the rest, we asked our members, what is the biggest priority for you? And two big things came out. One was around the topic that we've already been talking around, focused on valuations. It's really important to build the business case. And the other big topic was around the collaboration between tenants and landlords. So that's been the focus of the program mostly for the last 18, 24 months. And now we're kind of gradually moving on. 
Hi everyone, me again. Please do rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. It really helps us out, means we can make more shows like this, and means more people can find us. Also, a quick reminder to subscribe to Foresight Climate and Energy so you don't miss out on any of our other podcasts or long-form journalism. Head to the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe. That's what the Seed Change Programme is aiming to do. The first bit of outputs from the programme is uh, the Transition Risk Assessment Guideline. Can you provide some insights to what this guideline entails and how it will assist with real estate professionals in factoring in transition risk into the valuation process? Maybe also good to add is the way sea change works is mm. collaborative. This is right. not you and I doing things and kind of throwing it over the fence to the industry and kind of good luck with it. This is basically done by the industry, facilitated by sea change and, and uh, our team. So when we started the conversation about how do we address that business case uh, in real estate for decarbonization, we had many meetings, interviews, roundtable discussions with members, but also with other experts in the industry, other industry associations. And say throughout the process, it became clear that the industry would find it very useful to have guidance. What are these transition risks? Because the obvious one that everyone can think of, what are the costs of the works that need to be done? But there are actually a lot of additional risks, transition risks that need to be incorporated. For example, the the vacancy that you have, if you need to vacate the building to do those works, the impact on the energy cost, which obviously can also be positive if you have a lower energy bill after the works. All those things, but also, um, for example, softer elements like the reputation risk that might appear. Um, we talked about operational versus embodied carbon before. Embodied carbon needs to be considered. So all those elements kind of are incorporated And that's why we came up with the guidance, explaining each of these risks. And then one important element of these guidelines is not just the analysis that is being done by the building owner or the manager. It's also the sharing of the outcome of that, because that is key if we want to uh, evolve the industry to also take this into account in real estate valuations. ULI is not a valuation institute. Um, So what we've tried to do is almost find a pragmatic solution, acknowledging the way buildings are being valued now, but find a way to input into that process so the valuers get more evidence of how transition risk is being factored into real estate transactions. And then hopefully over time, we don't need that anymore because kind of the market's educated enough. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see how that um, sort of impacts over the over the near term. How do you envisage the real estate market developing over the short term? Obviously, there are, as you mentioned earlier, difficult current economic conditions, high inflation and high interest rates. So how is you know how is the industry reacting to that? Is there a bit of a pause or a bit of a lull on retrofitting and uh, energy efficiency measures, or is now the time 
to, to make those changes um, to really to make a start on, on that transition? How, is, how are today's circumstances and conditions affecting the industry? Uh, there's quite a severe impact, I would say. Um, and it's not just in transi- transactions. Um, we see much tougher circumstances. Buildings are generally leveraged to a significant extent. So if at refinancing, um, costs will be higher because of higher interest rates, maybe lower leverage that will be provided, a lot of capital needs to come in. We see a lot of structural change in the industry as well. For example, around offices again. We don't know yet how much people will come back to the office, how they will look like, what the office looks like in the future and all of that. So in that sense... And that also needs capital to keep the occupier happy. What we see is almost a little bit of disconnect in the market. Everybody will talk to you about the importance of ESG. There's no doubt about that. And also making these changes. If you then ask the next question in how much are you doing right now, it actually gets pretty tough to make it work from a financial perspective not just the return, but finding the capital to do it. And I think, therefore, to be honest, I expect these works to slow down um, because it it is hard to do it now um, and make those investments. What I do think is, as I mentioned before, the awareness around the risks has grown a lot. So we see a lot of companies, and that's also shown by the survey we recently did, are trying to get their house in order so that when the market comes back, they have a much better understanding of almost this additional risk layer that we did not consider before, how to incorporate that. One thing I want to also comment on is we only talk about we generally only talk about decarbonization risk as a downside risk. It costs money. You need to do the works, all of that. We would like to change that to more value mindset and especially a value preservation. Because the fact, again, coming back to my early comment, that you do not do anything doesn't mean that the value is not decreasing. You might not see it, but it is happening. So by the time you may want to transact, you find a very different reality than has been in your valuations. Therefore, taking early action and anticipating what's about to come, whether it's through investor pressure, occupier pressure, or regulatory pressure, it really doesn't matter. It is important to anticipate all of this, and that is the best opportunity to preserve the value of your building and maybe have an upside. If we look at the office market, Right now, we see a huge push for buildings and demand for buildings that are carbon neutral and have all kinds of uh, amenities, kind of add to the social impact and the well-being of employees and others. And we, we definitely see that demand so much that we think there might be even a value upside potential for that because it's so much more important for big corporates to attract talent, retain them. So it's far more than just your occupancy costs that are being considered. And that's why it's so important to kind of 
change the mindset on how we view decarbonization. Absolutely. And so how can individuals uh, in the real estate industry apply pressure for an industry-wide chain? There must be lots of people that are maybe frustrated at the lack of advancements within real estate uh, and decarbonization of buildings, whether it's in construction or retrofitting and energy efficiency. What can individuals do to, to help apply that pressure? Well, I think using what's already there uh, and also in their companies, if there's no wider awareness about initiatives and solutions already present, I think raising that um, constantly start asking the question, educate themselves um, and and therefore sh- share that with others. I think the more we raise the awareness and spread that across the industry, the 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 faster it will go and the more effective it will be. Absolutely. Uh, and just quickly, a quick question on, um, we've spoken a lot about uh, retrofitting and the valuation of existing buildings. Is there also being work done perhaps at ULI or as part of the Sea Change Programme for new builds uh, and either new offices or new warehouses, factories, new housing? Is there a work there being done to help improve the standards of, of new builds as well? Is that as, a, as big an issue? I think it's really important. It's because we it's not that we already have enough real estate, especially not housing. Um, our members have asked us to focus on the retrofits, the reuse of existing buildings. Um, and, and kind of there are many different strands to that. I do think the work on new buildings is also very important. But I think that would involve also many other groups because we need the materials producers on board for that. Because in the new build space, those are the biggest emitters of carbon. So it's almost there. Real estate is the client, if you will. And I think by putting pressure from the industry on those uh, stakeholders and suppliers, I think is would be really good. Yeah, absolutely. You've mentioned, I think, a couple of times the uh, upcoming annual report uh, and the survey on um, emerging trends within real estate. Can you give us a little bit of insight in perhaps what the report, this year's report, might show in the industry's attitudes and actions towards retrofitting and sustainability at all? Yeah, that's our annual report we do together with PwC on and provides an outlook for the real estate industry for the next mm. 12 to 18 months. Um, it's based on views from the industry. Almost 1,000 wow. people contribute to it. Um, what I think I've mentioned without referring to the report, I've mentioned already okay. a lot on what we're seeing. Basically, the big topic we're seeing is a huge disconnect between the selling right. price and the offer price, where Buyers, if any, obviously that has reduced significantly what they want to pay and the risk they are pricing in, not just decarbonization, but also high interest rates. Potential further economic slowdown, that is still a bit of a question mark, and we see more signals for that in some countries than in others. And if we then look at what it means for real estate is uh, especially the, being the development side being hit even harder than uh, the uh, existing assets, 
because it's very hard to start new development. Many developers bought the land at historic high values when interest rates were still low. Of course, it takes time to do the planning, etc. And now they face a totally different reality. With that, needing the finance and high construction costs. And therefore, we see development also almost totally standing still. So there's even more pressure on existing buildings and will be for some time. There are, of course, opportunities. And a lot of those opportunities are related to, say, our megatrends. It's around demographics, the huge uh, um, focus on housing. We've seen that already for the last couple of years and a need for housing in all different types. It's social, affordable, but also senior living, students, there's a general lack on all the different types. And we see a lot of interest and need for more new energy infrastructure. Um, obviously, again, a lot of it is related to climate change, the energy transition, and also picking Absolutely. up on that. Alisette, thank you so much. That was really interesting. Listeners would love to hear a bit about your background and how did you get to CEO of ULI Europe? And did you always want to work in the built environment sector, particularly within decarbonization? Uh, no, it's, it's been a oh, bit really? of, a, of a journey starting, not knowing exactly where, where to get to. I studied business economics right. and investment um, and actually started my career in that, not real estate. But at some point, kind of with a desire to more invest myself and not seeing myself sit behind a screen all day, I actually had an opportunity to join ING Real Estate, the at that time, a big uh, real estate player, um, and kind of sort of progressed, focused first on portfolio analysis mm. and research and strategy. I then got the opportunity to set up another member organization uh, that's called INREF for institutional investors in real estate funds. And going from a very big company to mm -hmm. a, a very small, at that wow. time we were only with two people, I learned a lot um, and and really enjoyed that, but then went back to ING after about five years, managed the Italian business wow. during the financial crisis, which was a steep learning curve. Um, and then uh, sort of when coming back from that after three years, I took a year off to become wow. a sommelier. And Absolutely. do something totally oh, wow. different for a while. <laughs> I had my own consultancy for a while. The Netherlands, where I'm based, was still in sure. crisis around that time, the previous one. Um, and then from 2015, I joined ULI. And so what was it about real estate um, that kind of first attracted you um, away from your initial role? I, I like kind of build, I like the, the physical asset class, if you will. Everybody has mm -hmm. an opinion on buildings, whether you like them or not. Um, as I mentioned before, it's a people's business. Many people don't see that, but it really is. And the way people come together, the networking, very different from any other investment uh, sector. And I really enjoyed that. Um, and and mm. the constant learning um, is very interesting. When... Every meeting I have with members mm. or others, I learn new things. And I really um, 
really appreciate that. And what kind of talking mm. about the decarbonization, but also the wider ESG, we often still see that as totally distinct topics almost, where you appoint a head of ESG with a team and that reports into the CIO, whatever. I think we really need to kind of refocus that to fully integrate it. And then I often call, mm. we need to use our common sense. Real estate is not just a financial assets class. It's our physical environment. It's where we live, work, and play. And sometimes that seems a bit forgotten. And we need to kind of get back. That needs to kind mm. of become an integral part again, understanding that you... If you do good to your users, the community, the planet, ultimately it adds to your return. May not be tomorrow, but it adds to the longevity of of your the lifetime of your building. And I feel so strongly about that. But mm. kind of it no, absolutely, yeah. and decarbonization is playing a, a much bigger role in that, as, especially within your time at ULI. At, at the very least, you're having more and more conversations exactly. about decarbonization of of buildings uh so do you have any advice perhaps now for the next generation perhaps about to enter the built environment sector for today um we run a program that's called urban plan that's for children in high school and it's basically a a one-day program where they as a developer all having different roles they work in teams of five need to regenerate a city district And then we have volunteers joining them and talking Mm. about their career. And what we generally see is that everybody had a preset goal of where to end up in the industry. While the dominance of people, the majority of people working in real estate end up, like myself, sort of coincidentally in real estate. I would say, and also the wider Mm. energy transition, I would say follow your heart um, and, and... you will find opportunities along the way. And we need you because we need the young generations. That's who we're building for, to kind of tell us how they want to live, how important climate change is for them. And that's the way the industry can make wow. change. Yeah, absolutely. You must get a lot of really interesting ideas from the, from the high school students uh, in that program. It's fascinating. It's, I, I'm a sure. volunteer myself have been already for eight years now, nine. It is every time you get totally different ideas and they are so creative while all working on the same plan, sort of. It's really fascinating to Mm. see that. um, And then you get inspired by it. Amazing. I bet you do. Just finally then, before we go, Lisa, um, one question I ask all of our guests on the Energy Enablers podcast is, will the energy transition succeed? I'm an optimist and I say yes. Um, so I'm, I'm convinced. I believe in it. I think we can do it. We need to scale up, uh, definitely. We have a, a severe task ahead of us, mm. but I think we can do it. Absolutely. Perfect. Lisette, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. My thanks to Lizette for joining me on the Energy Enablers podcast. I loved hearing about the work ULI does with schools and hearing what the young people want to see in their cities and urban areas. And that Lizette trained as a sommelier. Very cool. We'll be back again soon with another Energy Enabler. 
In the meantime, do check out the rest of the energy transition content over on www.foresightdk.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.